Hello, everyone. Today's Chitheads episode is a special interview with Andrew Harvey, which was a conversation featured originally in our recent Spiritual Citizenship online conference that we held in July of 2021. If you happen to have missed this conference on spiritual citizenship, which included 27 talks, panel discussions, and workshops on a, a variety of topics in spiritual activism, all of them are now available on demand on EPTV, including the video version of this interview. EPTV is available with a premium membership to Embodied Philosophy, so just head to embodiedphilosophy.com and click Become a Member for more information about our premium membership. Once you have a premium membership, you can also download EPTV as an app on Amazon Fire Stick, Roku, iOS, and Android streaming apps. This was quite a powerful and inspiring conversation, which is usually the case uh, when Andrew Harvey is involved. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Andrew. For many people, Andrew needs no introduction, but I will introduce him nonetheless. Andrew Harvey is an internationally acclaimed writer, poet, translator, and mystical teacher. He is the author of over 40 books, including Son of Man, the Hope, Way of Passion, Turn Me to Gold, and Savage Grace with Carolyn Baker. He has taught all over the world, given over 20 courses for the Shift Network, and is the founder of the Institute for Sacred Activism. And once again, as I mentioned before, we, uh, Andrew and I did an interview a few years ago, which you can still find uh, on the Chit Heads podcast. So hello, Andrew. How are you today? Well, I'm delighted to be with you all today, and I'm delighted to see you again, Jacob. How lovely. Let's plunge. It has been a few years, and um, I'm, I'm happy to see you again. And it is, of course, a delight and an honor to get an opportunity to speak with you. Um, many of our registrants, I know, are very familiar with your work. But for those that aren't, let's just start out with the basics. You've done a lot of work around this concept of sacred activism. What is this concept of sacred activism as you teach it and understand it? Sacred activism came to me in a revelation. It wasn't a concept. It was a revelation. And that revelation happened when my father was dying in the place where I was born, in Coimbatore in South India. My father and I were very, very close. He was an amazing man. And I was, of course, completely flayed by the anguish that he was in, but I could also tell that he was profoundly at peace with what was happening. I arrived in Coimbatore from San Francisco on a Tuesday, and then on a Sunday, I went to church. And during that service, I had a direct vision of the resurrected Christ. I can't put it any other way. And from the heart of the direct vision, came a lava flow of immense passion that burst my heart open. And for the first time in my life, I felt unified with the great love force of the channel reality. It was an overwhelmingly ecstatic experience. But it didn't end there because as I staggered out of the church, I saw this armless and legless desolate, lonely man plumped in a dirty puddle. He must have been 24, very beautiful and very desperate. And I went up to him to help him, to gather people to help him, to pay for him to be taken somewhere where he could be looked after. And as I did so, I heard the voice of the beloved saying, you have been playing with the light. Don't you understand that the entire world is now facing an apocalyptic and horrific crisis? And it's not enough to have wonderful mystical experiences. What must happen now, and the voice was very insistent, is that you put your whole life in service of a great revolution of love in action. The only thing that you'll be asked when you cross over, the voice went on, is not how many mystical experiences you've had, 
But what the hell did you do while the world was burning? That experience, as you can imagine, was both utterly transforming and utterly terrifying. And out of the marriage of that glory and that horror was forged a vision of sacred activism. I introduced that term to the world. I don't call it spiritual activism because for me that's too tofu. I love all people who do any kind of activism inspired by deep spiritual principles. But for me, the birthing force of the new humanity, which I experienced in that overwhelming experience, is sacred activism. And what sacred activism is, is two things. The first definition is a user-friendly definition, which doesn't scare people too much. And that is that when you bring together the deepest spirituality and stamina and strength that you find in your relationship to the source with wise, guided, radical, urgent action, a third force that is an amalgam of them both is born. And that force is blessed by the divine and over time it can effect miraculous transformations. And we've seen that in the 20th century. We saw that with Gandhi overturning the British Empire through 40 years of sacred activism. We saw that in Martin Luther King, able to avert a terrible potential bloodbath between the races through his standing in the force and passion and power of the Christ consciousness. We saw that in Solidarność in Poland, with Lech Valencia marching under the banner of the Black Madonna and through that amalgam of soul force and clear guided action, securing Poland's freedom. We see that in the living witness and passion of Jane Goodall and the Dalai Lama and other great sacred activists on the earth who know exactly where we are, but also know that if we can fuse together these two kept separate powers, we can be born as embodied, humble, divine servants of justice and harmony in the world, and amazing things can, even at this late, terrible, tragic moment that we find ourselves in, still be done. That's the first definition. The second definition goes deep into what I experienced in Coimbatore and what I've come to understand as the evolutionary will of the divine that is causing this vast crisis to burn away our illusions and to help us be born into an embodied divine humanity capable of co-creating a new world. Terrible process, but amazing. And this became clear to me in another vision. When I saw two rivers of fire going towards the horizon and meeting the horizon in a vast nuclear explosion, but not a Hiroshima or Nagasaki explosion, an explosion of radiant light, many, many colored lights. And as I saw this new force being born, I heard the words, when the river of the passion of the mystic for union with God meets the river of the activist's passion for justice, a new fire, a new force that can potentially transform everything is born. And as I was experiencing this immense revelation, which changed everything again for me, what I heard was the voice of the Christ saying, in the words of Tadal Shabbat, that amazing passage where he says, Someday, after we've mastered the tides and gravity, we shall harness the energies of love. And then for the second time, humanity will have discovered fire. And what I came to understand from that experience is that sacred activism, because it brings together all of the opposites, 
It brings together the transcendent and immanent sides of the divine. It brings together the light and the dark in the divine. It brings together deep inner practice and profound sacredly guided action. Because it does that, it is part of the divine's way of forcing the human race to unify itself in its inmost being and therefore go to the next level of its potential evolutionary destiny. And that destiny, the evolutionary mystics of all the traditions tell us, is for us to be born as a humble, embodied, divine humanity capable of working with the divine to co-create a wholly new way of being and doing everything. So sacred activism isn't only a force that can do miraculous things in extreme situations as we've witnessed it in the 20th century. It's also part of the immense evolutionary truth that's being offered us in the middle and through this very extreme ordeal that we're doing enduring, which is actually a great evolutionary ordeal destined either to destroy us or to transform us. So mm. beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It's always so inspiring to hear you speak, Andrew. And um, what comes to mind as you're speaking about these two streams of kind of the revelatory spiritual divine stream and the and the stream of justice integrating, um, I'm wondering uh, and this might be touching upon the the notion of this great um, kind of uh, cosmic upheaval that you mentioned, or what you call in the summary of your talk this evolutionary evolutionary global dark night. So, can you talk a little bit about what the biggest obstacle is to the integration of these two streams right now, and how? we might work through that or with that in such a way that we can then begin to cultivate ourselves as ourselves as sacred activists. Thank you for the question. The biggest obstacle is the extremity of the agony that we're going through. For anyone who is even half awake, it must be obvious by now mm -hmm. the world is going through a massive global dark night process. We have all kinds of seemingly intractable crises erupting at the same time. We have COVID, which is far from being over and could very well come back in an even more pernicious and devastating fourth wave very soon. Yeah. We have a major climate crisis. The Arctic is melting faster than even the most intense doomsayers ever predicted. We have a million species on the verge of extinction. We have a massive crisis of democracy and an appalling growth in authoritarianism in this country also through the lunacy of the Republicans and of what the big lie of Trump. We have a potential devastating economic crisis coming through the increased power of COVID, and we have a great spiritual crisis due to our abandonment of the sacred, due to the regression of many of the religions into radical, mad fanaticism, and due to the fantasy, magical thinking of the new age. So we're facing really extreme crises all together in an all-encompassing, devastating dark night. And that's the biggest obstacle because it's so scary that many people attempted either to be paralyzed by despair and desolation and depression or to jump into mad, magical solutions, such as authoritarianism, or, or to believe in the ridiculous, magical thinking of a completely decadent new age. And 
that those are not solutions they are collapses of intelligence and will so can i ask you to just clarify what you mean because i i really like this um way you're putting this because you know for from my perspective embodied philosophy has always been about grounded spirituality and i've always made a lot of efforts to contrast this with what you just called the fantasy magical thinking of the new age what is this fantasy magical thinking of the new age what or what are some features of it um just because i think it's such an important point that um often you know spirituality and spiritual circles just get melted into this same kind of new age pot so what do you mean by that fantasy magical thinking of the new age and, and what are we contrasting with here as an alternative the new age has been a catastrophe it is an orgy of stupidity in the face of rampant <laughs> destructive forces which are now having a massive abandoned feast all over the world so there are three main aspects of this orgy of stupidity that really have to be seen the first is to believe that the divine is only light the divine is ultimately light but the manifestation of the divine is always a dance of opposites and those opposites are both sacred so the dark is as sacred as the light horror chaos agony are also divine because they're also united with the source and they're being used in a mysterious alchemical way by the source and in the new age the concentration is entirely on a fantasy of the light people are not doing the practices to be in connection with that radical light they're just imagining that they are and a complete refusal to embrace the dark side of god and to be aligned with it. that's the first thing the second thing follows from that and that is that unless you are prepared to do really grueling and devastating personal shadow work and unless you're prepared to be realistic about what's actually happening in this world which is not an illusion but a manifestation of god then you are actually an agent of the dark forces that are now potentially threatening the whole life of humanity and the new age has been pathetically and disastrously and idiotically totally incapable of dealing either with the monstrous shadow of a capitalism run amok the devastating climate crisis everything that i described in my first outpouring and totally incapable of dealing with the human shadows that collude with that terrible situation and the third idiocy of the new age is to imagine god knows how they can do this that simply vibrating with what you imagine to be unconditional compassion and oneness and all the other bs that they spew out is going to be enough in a vast evolutionary ordeal which requires that we change everything from the ground up so the new age has not in any way espoused sacred action dedicated to justice and harmony it has just pampered people into the illusion that they don't god is just the light that you don't have to do any shadow work and you don't have to act which makes everyone who believes that absolute horseman you're total victims of the crisis and totally incapable to do anything real about it i hope i've been strong enough Oh yes, you always are Andrew and we love it and appreciate it. It's essential um, that people see that this is a complete and dangerous illusion. We have had great prophets and mystical masters and immense forces of good in this world. Imagine if you talk to Jesus 
and said, oh, God is just light and it's all going to be fine and we don't have to do any shadow work and everybody's secretly one with the one and it's all going to be fine. What would he have said to you? He would have said, you are crazy. Don't you understand where we are? Don't you understand what's at stake? Don't you understand the enormous struggle you have to be prepared to go through to actually incarnate the light, which means that you have to understand your shadow and you have to offer it up for transformation. What would the prophet, peace be upon him, have said to that kind of driveling stupidity. What would any of the great prophets, the great mystics, the ones who really know have said, they would have been shocked and astounded that a large part of the American spiritual world at the moment when America is being lacerated by lies and plunging into a fire of cruelty and authoritarianism at that very moment, continuing to believe a completely false mysticism. This is extremely dangerous as well as fantastically stupid. Very deadly cocktail. But fortunately, yes. it's not the only force that is active in our spiritual world. And now we move on to that uh, alternative force, which you are, at least in, um, in the upcoming course that you're doing, you're you are exploring this notion of radical regeneration. And so I'm, I'm curious what you mean by radical regeneration um, and, and how it sort of responds to the crisis that you've been speaking about. Look, the only way that I can understand this crisis, and it has been imprinted in me, as it is in many of the major teachers on the planet, is this. A global dark night can only be understood from the mystical tradition's deep knowledge of the necessity of the dark night for the preparation of the incarnation of divine consciousness. So the first thing that people really have to embrace are the laws of this dark night experience. They really have to look at it and understand that it's not going to be dispelled. It's not going to go away. It's not going to evaporate. We're not going to ohm and shmom it away. We are going to go through the burning fires of an incineration of all of our illusions. I have been through a 10-year dark in which I nearly died many, many times from the agony of it, from the horror of it, from the extremity of it. But I blessed that time because it ended with that experience of the Christ. And that began a completely new life in which I knew, as anyone will know who goes through a dark night, that I am divine, that you are divine, that the human race is secretly divine. And I didn't know this intellectually. I knew it because the divine was boiling in my heart and in my cells, because the birth had happened through the dark night. So that's the first thing that people have to get real about. This is an evolutionary mutation crisis. And when species mutate, it's not a sweet little walk around the park. What happens is that a species reaches an impossible situation in which its entire framework of understanding and adaptability is menaced at the deepest level. And it either dies out at that moment, as we could, because... God knows the forces of insanity are high, or it plunges into the mystery and struggles from the depth of itself and finds itself adapting in mysterious and magical ways through the intensity of the crisis. And one example would be that millions of years ago, there were fish in a toxic sea. And of course, there were a lot of conferences in that sea and a lot of new age people, new age fish sat about and oming and shmoming, thinking that that would 
remove the toxicity of the sea. But that didn't happen, strangely enough. And what did happen is that a few really crazy fish, fish who knew that the sea was over, leapt onto the sand. They leapt into a totally unfamiliar dimension, and many of them died. But some of them survived because they had the strength and the passion and the grounding in the force of life. And they grew the organs of birds. They became birds. We're in that state now. So it's essential to see that it is a global dark night. It's essential to understand that the global dark night is the ordained birth canal for a new humanity. And then it's essential to get serious about authentic mystical practice so that instead of just reading a lot of repetitive and mostly badly written books by people who don't know much, you read the real mystics and get down to the real mystical practice and experience your own deathlessness. Let the fullness of your own authentic divine consciousness be revealed to you so that you can stay steady and clear and unillusioned but hopeful and joyful through whatever happened. And then, and this is the fourth point, realize that it's not enough just to have mystical experience. You, in this crisis, to fulfill the evolutionary will of your own destiny and of humanity, have to step up and offer yourself as a flame of sacred action dedicated to the birth of a new race with a wholly new relationship to the creation and to animals and to all human beings. Any other program will not work in a massive evolutionary crisis. So if you're not aware of those four different interlinked things which lead to radical, radical regeneration potentially, then you are simply fiddling while the world burns. Well, I certainly don't want to um, be so obnoxious to say that in order to find out what those key points are of radical regeneration, you have to take the course. There's so many avenues, right? There's so many kind of potential you know, mystical traditions. There are so many schools of thought. There are so many, um, you know, teachers trying to sell their wares to me. And and I should I try this meditation? Should I do that path? Should I, should, you know, how do we, you know, given what you're talking about, how do we begin the process of focusing our attention um, when there seem to be not only so many traditions and, and paths of understanding, but also so many issues that need to be addressed. I mean, you, you know, you listed off, uh, you know, a whole who's who of global crises right. um, and many of which we're talking about over the course of this conference, several different, you know, marginalized groups um, and, and, and areas of kind of sociopolitical tension. Um, and, and it seems like it's all so much to take in and to handle and to address. And there's this seeming expectation that we have to conquer all of it. So how do we focus ourselves given the tasks uh, at hand? There are two things I'd like to make absolutely clear. When you listen to teachers out there, ask yourself, are they really able to see this world as a manifestation of the glory of God? And are they really speaking as evolutionary mystics? Or are they just parroting the old patriarchal rubbish about the world being an illusion and that all we need to do is to be peaceful and radiate compassion? If they're doing the second, run a thousand miles from them because they're trying to drug you on a drug that has been partly responsible for this appalling crisis. The world is not an illusion. The world is a manifestation of the divine. It is utterly holy, utterly sacred. Humanity is an unfinished adventure with enormous potential 
This is what the Christ knew. This is what the Kabbalists knew. This is what the Shaivite tradition knew. This is what the Vajrayana mystics know. They know that we are capable of being born here as embodied divine beings. This is the great tantric vision. Anything else, however prestigious, is not going to help you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to, if you want to focus and be useful, you are going to have to take mystical practice so much more seriously and intensely than you have ever imagined doing. Those fish on the burning sand weren't sipping Chardonnay and occasionally doing the odd own. They were suffocating in an intolerable reality and fetching up from the depths of themselves a new force and a new strength. And this is the great extraordinary contribution of the tantric traditions that know that at the core of us is a burning fire of wisdom and love, which is an evolutionary transforming. They know that because they've experienced it and they've experienced the next level of human evolution. And that's why we're teaching the Tantra and sacred activism today. So if you want to focus, take up very simple, very powerful practices, such as saying the name of God. The great traditions all agree that the most powerful transformative practice is the saying of the name of the divine by whatever name you love. But saying it in the core of your heart with tremendous longing and tremendous passion and tremendous intensity with the tremendous longing and passion intensity of those fish suffocating in a new mad world which they had nothing to prepare them for. That's where you are. So say the name and the name will reveal to you the mysteries of who you really are, because the divine is by your side right now and in you. But you have to know that you can't focus truly until you know that. And you can only know that through mystical self-revelation. And then you need to get real about needing to act. If you think, for example, as an American, and I'm living in America, and I love America with a heartbroken, exasperated love, if you really think that everything is going to be fine while you sit emanating your vague goodwill from your comfortable and expensive cushion, if you really believe that at this moment, when you have half of the country believing a complete lie, when you have utterly, obviously ruthless people in charge of one of the parties of this country, when you have an ex-president who is a brutal maniac spouting crazy stuff and inciting insurrection, when you have massive disease everywhere, if you think it's going to be enough for you just to go through your mild spiritual practices, you are kidding yourself because you're preparing yourself to be a victim of an exploding fascist world. So get real and get going. And if you do all those three things, if you sort out the teachers that are just parroting the old patriarchal rubbish from the great evolutionary teachers that are here, now to help. If you really plunge into mystical practice, and if you really take up the radiant burden of being an authentic spiritual citizen and dedicate yourself with your resources and your passions and your abilities to doing something fueled by spiritual consciousness, then, then you'll be rewarded by something which will amaze you. You'll be rewarded by divine energy You'll be rewarded by divine joy, and nobody, nobody will control you or shut you up or defeat your passion. Mm -hmm. For those that are perhaps, well, I'm not sure 
what you mean by mystical practice. Are we talking about meditation? What what kinds of things constitute or are 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 considered within that notion of mystical practice? What counts as that? I think there are three main kinds of mystical practice, and I think you need to bring them all together. You need a practice that calms you down in the middle of radically painful situation, which is going to be everywhere. Because if you think that this is, we're in a terrible situation now, wait a year, it's going to get so much worse before it gets any better. So, uh, <laughs> it is. Look, I'm at my limit. I mean, it's collapsing. COVID's coming back. We have maniacs threatening democracy. It's going to be horrifically difficult. So, have a practice that is what I would call a cool practice. Meditation is essential because it gives you that ability to watch your thoughts and not identify with your emotions and keep your whole being in equilibrium. Then you need prayer. You need to be able to speak nakedly and directly and authentically and wildly and hungrily and longingly to the divine and the divine is all around you it's in you it's listening and you'll find that if you risk the adventure of real prayer it's not that your prayers will be answered for a maserati or a cuban houseboy it <laughs> will be filled with divine purpose and energy to accomplish what you're meant to accomplish and the third kind of practice that you need is a heart practice that will help you open your heart center. The most crucial thing for every human being at this moment is to open the heart center, which is not the physical heart, it's slightly to the right, it's the mystical center. And that heart center, when it's open, reveals divine reality to you. You see the divine light and you see everything as crystallized light. You see it, I see it. There are hundreds of thousands of people on the earth who see this. I'm not unique. But until you see that, until you know that, you're still confused. It's only the opening of the heart center that can unconfuse you. And the best way to open the heart center is to say with passion and adoration and longing, the name of God. This is what all the mystical traditions tell you. So have a simple meditation practice that will help you calm your whole being and bring it into your equilibrium. Have a passionate prayer practice that will enable you to speak to your vast self out of the depth of the need for strength and stability and healing of your small self and get down with the practice of the name of God and anybody can do all of those three things. You don't have to be a member of any religion you just have to know that there is a beloved. You are part of that beloved. The beloved is living in you. And that is the unanimous testimony of all the great mystical traditions. Get with it and get working with it in those ways and you will be strengthened. Well, I'm so, I'm so glad I asked you that question because that was so beautiful. And while I hear you, I, I still hope that my prayers will bring me a Cuban husband um, but I will settle. Well, for I wish that for you. I, a Cuban husband would be wonderful. <laughs> okay. So, no, um, ask, of course, for Cuban husbands, but no is also an answer. <laughs> yeah. I'll be not attached. Maybe Venezuelan. Yes, Venezuelan would be <laughs> um, uh, south of the equator is all I ask. Uh, so... <laughs> So during this conference, you know, we've been obviously making efforts to to highlight some of the politically, socially, and historically marginalized and kind of excluded groups as a lens onto some of our responsibilities as, as spiritually informed oh, citizens. Yes. And so, and so I'm I'm wondering if you could speak to one of the topics. You know, you've kind of mentioned environmental activism, so maybe you want to say a little more. Also, this idea of queer. Actually, you're going to be reading an interview to. Um, for our next upcoming, one of our upcomings of the Target Journal. So we've got this kind of, we've got this focus on queer Dharma or LGBTQ plus issues. We have racial healing, environmental activism or eco-spirituality, um, you know, under this umbrella of, of spiritual activism or citizenship. So can you talk a little bit more sacred. specifically? Yes, sacred activism. Can you talk a little bit 
um, about one of these particular um, struggles and, and how it well, relates to Well, I'd like to, to talk in a general way, because I think sure. that would be more helpful to people. People come to me often and say, what should I do? What cause should I give myself to? And what I say, and I've said this all over the world, and people, thank God, some of them have actually done this. What I say to people is, what truly breaks your heart? What makes you so unhappy when you even begin to go near it that you reel away from thinking about it because you can hardly stand That's what's calling you to serve. That, because if you turn and face that fundamental heartbreak and really pledge yourself to do something real about it, you'll find that you will be given enormous focus, passion, to get out there and be real. So, in a crisis like this, what breaks your heart, my friend? Is your heart broken by the disgusting way we treat gay people still, and above all, trans people who go through unspeakable suffering and are so brave and are such pioneers of the new sexuality that is trying to be born? If does that break your heart? Well, then step up and do something real about it. Does it break your heart? that this so-called democracy that is America, which only even became a vague democracy in 1965 when the Voting Rights Bill was put through, is still treating its African-American citizens as animals? Does it break your heart that George Floyd could be murdered in full sight without anybody intervening? Well, then join Black Lives Matter. Join the many, many groups that are really concerned about real activism on behalf of the disenfranchised, does it break your heart that most of the spiritual world is polluted by fake mysticism? Well, then get with the real evolutionary mysticism and start standing up for authentic truth. Whatever does it break your heart that a million species are on the edge of extinction, that animals are being tortured as I'm speaking by crazy people. I have my assistant, my wonderful collaborator, Jill Angela runs her own farm, Moondog Farm, where she gets battered animals in and tends them. Don't just cry over what's happening to animals. That's cheap. Do something. Be an advocate. Stand up. You see, if I see the crisis as having a million arms, and there are millions of crises interwoven in this vast crisis, and if you have each human being responding to their radical heartbreak, you really join the army of midwife warriors that can create. You won't be able to deal with all of the problems. Choose the one that lacerates your soul. Put yourself into sacrificial, passionate service of that, and you'll be part of a massive, birthing, loving army of midwife warriors. And the, crisis, the multiple aspects of the crisis will be dealt with people who are really turning up through. That is such a wonderful answer to that question, Andrew, because I think, you know, just going towards that which breaks your heart, lacerates your soul, such great um, uh, insight and wisdom as to how to focus oneself, because I think there's a lot right now of, there's a lot of kind of, you know, of, of virtue signaling that suggests that everyone should be should be involved in every single thing, but really what, you know, everybody you can find at least one of, of these things. things that they are, of course. Yeah, but you can't be under the fantastic, this is another kind of illusion that you can deal with all of these things, which is a way that the ego has of not doing anything. How many people have said to me, there are so many terrible things going on, I don't know which one to choose, which means I'm not going to do a damn thing. I'm just going to feel sorry for myself and feel that I'm paralyzed. No, be humble, realize you're limited, that you have limited energies, choose one thing, they're all interrelated, and choose the thing that really, 
shatters you and devote yourself to that, you'll be doing something amazing for the world. Mm. All right. So we are going to now transition into some questions from some of you. And there are a few of them, although I just want to invite everyone to really to step up and uh, and ask your questions. Don't be and scared. Make... I know I've been ferocious, but uh, I'm very sweet. <laughs> actually, so he's, uh, he's tender to the core. But, you know, if you have some questions um, for Andrew, this is a wonderful opportunity to ask a question. If you are watching this on the conference landing page, uh, join us here in the Zoom uh in the Zoom room, you can find it through the link underneath the video on the conference page. You can't ask questions, obviously, on the conference page itself. So if you have just joined us um, and are asking um, and want to ask questions, please come join us in Zoom. Put your questions in the chat or the Q&A. I'm looking at both, so either one will do. Um, and I have one set up here now from Christine. It's a great question. She says, Christine asks, if I'm waiting till I, quote unquote, see God, before I act, is, is this a way of putting off acting? How do I act now as I move toward God? Well, you cannot wait until you are totally enlightened until you act. Because acting out of what is your sacred consciousness is your way to become enlightened. So realize that sacred action is not something you can get out of, but prepare yourself through mystical practice to understand what it really is and act with the fullness of your knowledge now while practicing to be more and more awake and have more and more access to compassion, energy, and wisdom. Excellent. So this is a question um, from, from Shiva. What is the critical mass of people, yes, that must wake up and by when before it's too late? It seems that not only do we as individuals need to work on waking up, but we need to help others wake up as well. Nobody has the slightest idea of what that mass would be. It's an irrelevant question. The only relative relevant question is what the hell are you doing? Are you turning up in this birth? We don't know that this is going to work. That's part of the agony of the dark night. We don't know if this horrific experience is going to birth a new humanity or just wipe us all off the face of the earth relatively soon. Facing that uncertainty, you have two choices. You can either go into despair or magical thinking or any of the other solutions which are not solutions, or you can truly choose to do whatever you can to be born as a divine human tantric sacred activist and just pour out your service as a prayer and as an offering. That is the adult position. And anybody who waits to act before they know how many thousands of people need to be, this is all nonsense. Forget about it, it's not gonna help you. We must be direct with each other at this moment. We need brave people now, heroic lovers of God and of humanity to risk themselves completely in an adventure whose end we cannot see. I spoke about this to the Dalai Lama about three years ago in Australia and I cornered him. I love cornering him. And I said, look, humanity is in terrible trouble. What's going to happen? And he's looked at me and said, nobody knows. But what I do know, and this is something that I would write on your heart in letters of diamond fire, is prepare for the worst and do everything you can to burst the best. It's from Christina who's asking, because it feels like a very scholar practitioner question, and we love that sort of uh, yeah. that uh, intersection at embodied philosophy. So she's asking, do you have tips for honoring your own sacred experience for quote unquote owning it when it forms the core of your work and potentially academic research projects? And I'm just gonna add to that, that you know, I, I think sometimes academia tries to bash out the sacred kind of impulse that we have and turn it into something called quote unquote objectivity. So I, I'm kind of augmenting Christina's question there, but I, I have this own question myself is, 
you know, how do we honor that sacred experience while we're still allowing it to infuse and, and, um, and intersect with our academic research projects and, and, our, and the core of our work? It's a wonderful question. The first thing to recognize is that academia is diseased. I was a professor at Oxford young, and I fled it in my 20s because I recognized that, that mindset was cruelly addicted to a fantasy of reason and control. So you have to recognize that if you're going to work in that area, you're dealing with people in a lunatic asylum, a concentration camp of reason. So how do you deal with them? I'll tell you how I've dealt with them. I've dealt with them in three ways. The first way is to become absolutely clear that the mystical traditions are the inner sciences of humanity, that they are not dreamy divagations and lucubrations. They are the work of absolutely brilliant human beings who have sweated and bled in the crucibles of longing and produced schemes and maps which have brilliant authenticity, especially when you begin to wake up, you realize how amazing they are. So absolutely ground yourself in that certainty and never let the trivial, vain, stupid voice of a diseased reason ever swerve you from what you know. The second thing is that if you are presenting very powerful mystical material in an academic context, do your homework, study the traditions so that you can back up your experience which isn't just subjective because it's an initiation into objective reality with the experiences of great mystics in all the traditions. This is how I've been able to silence a lot of the crazy voices held against me because I've simply said, well, it's not just me who's saying it. What about Rumi? What about Kabir? What about Aurobindo? What about the prophet? What about Jesus? Are you going to say that we are all crazy? Or are you going to have to face that what we're saying has, in your own terms, something truly objective to offer? And your refusal to deal with this means that you don't even believe your own truth, which is supposedly that you are willing to entertain all possibilities and to explore them. How dare you say that all of us are crazy? Get with all of this. So be very tactically astute in how you really ballast everything that you're saying with serious study of the great tradition. Mm-hmm. And the third way is to truly be aware, and this is very difficult and shaming. Be aware of how much of you is actually them, so-called them. Be aware that until you are actually radically fixed in the truth of your mystical knowledge and radically equipped by the study of the great traditions, you're very secretly vulnerable to being unnerved by those very same sabotaging voices. And that's a very important piece of knowledge because it means that when you present your radical and transfiguring message, you present it in such a way that deals with those sabotaging voices step by step by step by step. You answer them before they can demolish you. You have to become a supremely skillful, astute diplomat. And the way to do that is to understand your own shadow, understand how much you are already permeated by that self-sabotaging disbelief of your deepest impulses, 
and then formulate what you write in a way that answers all of those sometimes very damaging and idiotic questions. That's how you do it. There's another great question from Elaine, and I'm, I'm actually glad that um, she is asking this because I'm sure there are many people who, who um, are having a similar, perhaps, response to the notion of the divine. And Elaine says, I practice Buddhism and come from an indigenous background. Mm. So the idea of divinity is a struggle for me. I think everything is divine, but I can't imagine a single name. I'm not sure what to do with that. I understand. And I would just use one of the great Buddhist mantras, Om Gate Gate Paragate Parasam Gate Bodhisvaha, which is an astonishing mantra to expand your whole being into shunyata, into emptiness. So use that. Don't be too literal about all of this. Mm. All right, so we have one more question from Shiva. Um, and this is a more kind of practical question about kind of the capitalist system. And Shiva says, globalists in uh, Davos want to reset capitalism, but will this be enough or do we need an entirely new system? Isn't conscious capitalism an oxymoron? Conscious capitalism is a huge joke. Capitalism is by its very nature unconscious because it's addicted to greed and power and competition. And that has nothing whatever to do with the authentic divine transmission of the great mystics of all traditions. So what they're trying to do is to create a system that is mildly unjust so that they can keep their profits. Don't believe a word of it. What is needed is a massive revolution on every level of all the systems of our planet unless someone asks another question in, in the chat or in the Q&A, we'll let this be the last one, and it's a nice one to end on. But you mentioned at one point the tantric vision, and so Ruby is asking what the tantric vision is. <laughs> Very simply, the tantric vision is a vision of absolutely everything being totally sacred, of the creation being a manifestation of the mystery of the one, and every created being being a living, divine manifestation. And that vision has the benefit of being true, but also the benefit of being incredibly encouraging, joyful, hopeful, and strengthening. Because the more you come to see the whole creation as sacred and every being as sacred, the more you come to recognize yourself as utterly sacred and empowered in mind, heart, soul, and body, and the more you come into your own God-given magnificence. So fantastic. fantastic. Yes. Well, um, Shiva says in the chat, this has been a powerful and provocative session. Andrew, you really help us reassess and examine ourselves to focus on what's really important. And I second that. And I'm sure many, many people either here in Zoom or in the uh, on the live conference page or who will be watching this within the next 24 hours or whenever they uh, have time to feel will feel similarly. Andrew, do you have any kind of parting words for the conference participants today? Please come and join this course that Ramesh and I are doing. Ramesh is a tremendous teacher of the Tantra, somebody very profoundly steeped in the authentic Tantric traditions, and he has a wonderful clarity about how to communicate. And he knows that Tantra and sacred activism are two sides of the same birthing power. So do I. And we're going to pour out towards you all the practices and all the kinds of illumination that we believe will help you most in this tragic but absolutely amazing time. So that would be my parting words. If I have excited you in this brief hour, please come and be with Ramesh and myself, and we will have a wonderful time together.
you leave, I hope, radically encouraged and radically inspired. Thank you so much, Andrew. All right, so I will just do parting things. One is that um, Andrew will be uh, contributing an intro to one of our upcoming issues of Tarka. I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. This is our wonderful journal that we release quarterly. This is the newest issue on death. Andrew talked mm -hmm. about deathlessness. So we've got a few um, uh, uh, articles on there on similar ideas. So if you are new to embodied philosophy and never heard of it before, you can uh, look through our website um, on the in the uh, navigation, you'll see journal and that's where you can find out more about that. And again, Andrew will be um, doing a written interview for the upcoming issue on queer Dharma. And then once again, I'd just like to, again, reiterate what Andrew said about the upcoming course on radical regeneration, Tantra and sacred activism. He'll be co-teaching that course with Ramesh. And, um, and yes, thank you all so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Andrew, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Jacob. Thank you so much. God bless you.